Welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. I am Carrie Ebert. I am one of your hosts and our good friend Mike from Grow Now Therapy is going to be joining us. So we are very excited to uh, spend the evening with you. Uh, we try to do about an hour. Uh, it always seems to be longer than an hour. So there's Mike. Let me get him on here so we can start our chat. All right, here we go. There he All is. All right, how's it going? Good, how about yourself? I am doing great. I have been so excited, a special Labor Day edition yes. of Finished Lessons. I woke up this morning. I had no idea what day it was. <laughs> I, om I almost saw some of my Tuesday students today. Uh -huh. and, then I, and then I realized it was Monday and I got so excited and it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what this community and this Monday practice that you and I now have, this, this yes. is like, this is like a part of our lives now. And it, it it's, yeah. it's really, it's really amazing. You know, the positivity and the love and the good feelings that this brings me. If this is something I look forward to, like if I'm, if I'm having a down day or I need something, yes. I look forward to this and this is, and all the people that spend their time with us, uh, yeah. I, I just, I love these chapter chats. I can't, it, it has been everything I dreamed of when we, when we first had this idea so many, so long ago. I know, I know. And I just have to say, you know, reading one chapter a week, I just think it's such a nice way to do a book study because, you know, we tried to say, let's read the whole book and then we'll have a chat about it. You know, it just wouldn't go over very well. And uh, I have to admit that I didn't have a chance. Uh, I had a family reunion this weekend and my husband fell and hurt himself. And so mm. it's been chaotic. So I didn't get a chance to read chapter four until this morning. And I have to say, I think it's my favorite chapter so far in this book. Absolutely. And it's. There. Oh, yeah, I yep, lost you yep, for a minute. Good, okay, go. yep, yep, okay. froze for a little bit. So I remember when we first had this idea for the chapter chat, uh, you know, we were thinking of ways to do it, and we were trying to think of a name for it. And we talked uh -huh. about how, how great it would be to do one chapter a week. Right. And that's amazing. And then you came up with the idea, chapter chat. And it's just, it's so perfect. And it's so, yeah. it's, and, and the books that we're doing so far have been amazing. This chapter has been incredible yeah. uh, and, and getting all the feedback from everyone after every episode. Now I get about 10 DMS of people, <laughs> people loving it and people saying that we have to come and do trainings at their school. Yes. Uh, yes. And you know, as soon as COVID's over, we're going to be doing a lot of, uh, a lot of school trainings. Yes. I love it. I love it. So Mike and I had a quick text earlier today. We think we've picked our fourth book, but oh, yeah. before I forget, I'm just going to share with you our third book because we only have one chapter left in Finish Lessons 2.0. So this is the book we're reading currently. And in a couple of weeks, then we'll start our third book. So if you are following along with us and want to get this from the library or order it on Amazon, it is called Most Likely to Succeed, Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era. Mike and I have not, am I right, Mike? You haven't read the book, have you? I have not, no. No, and I haven't either. So we're taking a leap of faith on this it looks phenomenal um but the other two books uh, mike and i had either read or had skimmed through you know so um i'm really excited to read a brand new book so i um, am super excited to start with that uh so anyways let's uh talk a little bit about chapter four of finish lessons 2.0 yes what'd you think, mike what'd you so think? so i think we're going to be talking about some germs uh, uh this right, evening 
in, in, in true uh, in true pandemic fashion we'll talk about yep. some germ uh you know uh this chapter i also had to finish it this morning with all the labor day craziness uh and it just really and I, then i had to take a long drive later today so i figured let me find a podcast from the author by, by oh. posse let me okay. find a podcast by him and there were two podcasts and you type in his name one is a lecture he gave at Columbia University. Okay. Uh, and the other is him being interviewed by an educational specialist. And it was so amazing. The entire interview was basically about this chapter here. Oh. So this, this chapter here, Competitive Welfare State, The Finnish Way, it's, it does such an incredible job breaking down what Finland has done, right. what the rest of the world continues to do yeah. uh and what is now the finish way and what they refer to as the finish way it's really amazing it really is and i think what is you know there's so many fascinating points about this as you know i always take notes and i have one two three four i have four and a half pages of handwritten notes on this um but i, I think the whole chapter is really about and i kind of worried about it when i saw that the chapter was about the interplay between education policies and economic strategies I was like, ew, like, is this going to be boring? Like, am I, you know, going to find anything relevant about this? But what I think is so powerful about this chapter is he really reiterates that Finland's educational success was not accomplished by following the same education reform principles as the United States has followed. And so that had me from the first page of this chapter that, okay, so, and there's really a wonderful he did a wonderful job contrasting what we've done in the United States and what they did in Finland. And so what I feel like is it gives us real goals to strive for. I felt like there was, if this wasn't fluff, this wasn't theoretical, you know, I, there were a couple charts in there that we'll mm. go over tonight that were just amazing because they broke it down so simply. So um, I, I think that um, when we start talking about the success that uh, Finland has had with their education system, uh, one of the things that, he reiterates more than one time in this chapter is that the education system, because their teachers are so highly trained and respected and valued, uh, that their education system enables schools to experiment. Are you ready for this? Yeah. With creativity and take measured risks to reach their goals. And so as I was reading this chapter, I was like, oh, the two goals, here it is, the two goals they have in finished education. One, effective teaching. Two, productive learning. Like, isn't that the most basic thing you can imagine? And yet it's so powerful. It's really amazing. Uh, and uh, everything that is discussed uh, in this chapter, one thing that he said in the podcast that really stood out to me was, you know, all around the world, especially in the United States, we spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on educational research. And then he goes, then he, he asked the audience, uh, how much do you think Finland spends on educational research and he said literally zero dollars so all of the things that the finnish way all of it came from american research yeah. all of it came from all of the work that we did <laughs> in terms of how does education work how do we treat the whole child how do we make uh, education equitable for all people the finnish way really could be the american way right. uh and, and he basically said uh you know after he published this book, he got calls from the director of education from all these different countries. 
he got he, uh, the the president of Scotland called him. Mm-hmm. Uh, all people from Australia called him. Canada called him. Everyone called him and said, "Come here, learn about our education, and help us fix it. Right. Help us uh, help us make our educational system more like Finland." And he basically said, "No, you don't want to replicate us. Uh-uh. You need to make it work your own. You need to make right. it work because so much of what they do is based on their culture. Right? You don't re- don't re don't make Finnish." education you need to make your own finland so right. he said he said the reason i wrote this book was not for people to copy but for people to to give people hope that yes. no matter no matter how bad their education is today they can make the changes to make it more positive and more productive mm-hmm. just like finland did i love it i love it so one of the things that because i'm such a nerd and i love <laughs> the research and you know the evidence that's why we're here two- Two educational journals that I feel like my yes. friends subscribe to. I, yes. I don't know if you wrote these down or not, but I sure did. Forty-one. They yep. said um, the key forums um, in order to communicate contemporary knowledge about education reform, and the two academic journals. One is called School Effectiveness and School Improvement, and the yep. other is called Journal of Educational Change. And I'm like so like nerded out that I'm like, oh my gosh, how do we get our hands on these journals? I'd never heard of these two journals before. Uh, and so I'm just a huge journal person. Uh, as a, a defender of play, I work uh, with very young children and I'm a big believer in um, play-based learning. And so one of my, uh, two of my favorite journals to get my research uh, from when I talk about the power of play and the development of young children, one is called the American Journal of Play and the other is called the International Journal of Play. Wow. both free. I mean, you don't have to pay anything. You know, I used to actually get the journals. I probably have them here somewhere. Um, here we go. I used to get them mailed to me. Okay. I didn't pay a penny for them. Now I think they've decided we're killing too many trees. So now they just email me the journal, you know, like in a PDF or whatever, but um, it's really fascinating. So I feel like Mike, Mike and I are on this mission. Now we want to write a book and we want to put yeah. our own perspective on things. And I really think those two journals are going to be, you know, powerful for us to uh, see what the current research is and um, kind of uh, take what we are learning about Finland and then figuring out how to make it work here in the United States. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I put tons of stars next to those journals because that's really, you know, this is, this is what we're doing. This is what we're all about. Uh, and it's really amazing. You know, they separate, uh, Finland, Korea, and Japan. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's amazing. You know, the one thing that he always stresses is not only is this a positive educational system, but it's equitable. So obviously the, you know, the two things that go hand in hand is not only, is the educational system productive and positive and helping people? And right. it's, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know, there's low dropout rates, high success rates, but it's equitable. And, you know, part of, the, part of this chapter, uh, they really go into the concept of school choice and how in Finland, there really isn't any school no. choice because all the schools are the same. Right. So school choice was something you really heard a lot recently in America with, you know, charter schools and private schools and public schools and just being in being in here and being here in philadelphia it is so unbelievably competitive uh you know the suburbs outside of philadelphia oh my son goes here my daughter goes here we don't go to the public school we have to go here it's 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 really really bad and what the school what we now know about school choice and there's a lot of people that are proponents of school choice school choice leads to increase in competitiveness and the competitiveness between schools 
competitive competitiveness between teachers hurts the students and hurts the kids. Absolutely. So yeah, there are some uh, uh, five globally common features of educational reform that I really want to go through those one by one. But before we get to that, I just have to say on page 141, I have like three stars. And so I just, it's, it's, it's the bottom I bet it's in the, the same spot. Yep. Yeah. I got it right here. It says, um, rather than shifting emphasis towards standardized yep. knowledge of content and mastery of routine skills, some advanced education systems are focusing on, you ready? Flexibility, risk-taking, creativity, and problem-solving through modern methods of teaching combined with community networks and smart technologies. And hmm. what I have written right in my column is EFs, executive hmm. So take a, take a look what I wrote. Yeah, see, isn't it funny that our brains think, EF. and I had two start, well, yeah, our brains, our brains are- <laughs> Look at that. Like. Yep, but isn't that something? That, again, we're back to every chapter of every book we've read so far. I mean, we're only on book two, so, you know, mm -hmm. I make it sound like it's real dramatic, but they, they, they're talking about executive function skills, but they're not using the language. And so yep. I hope that what we can do in order to bring some continuity to conversations about education reform is start getting everybody to use the term executive functioning, right? That if we could all start using that term, so we've got the cognitive hypothesis, make everybody smarter, faster, start, you know, teaching infants their letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. Let's have great inflation and let's get rid of all play. That's what the cognitive hypothesis has said and then we have this flip side which says oh wait executive function skills are actually the foundation for learning and development and if we could start there uh, we could certainly uh, create an education system that uh, is is going to make a huge impact in success uh, across all um, all students regardless of gender race socioeconomic status everything make it equitable so our first book here by Paul Tuff, How Children Succeed was all about the cognitive hypothesis. And just like Carrie said, how can we make kids as smart as possible? How can we push IQ, 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 and those right. sorts of things? So basically, you know, how to, the cognitive hypothesis that we learned about this book is, you know, small picture, big picture is the global education reform movement. So the global ed education reform movement is basically the cognitive hypothesis on steroids, right? That's, bas that's basically all it is. That's literally all it is. And yep. they go into this and what this germ is doing, and it's so funny, it's called germ because it's literally infecting education around the world and causing all these problems. It's literally a germ in real life. Let's it's, tell them what it stands for though. Yeah. Germ stands for Global Education Reform Movement. So yep. global education reform movement, and that's germ. And so for me, it's just so funny because not only are we in an international pandemic where germs are our biggest fear right now, if you will, but to me, just the term germ, you know, as an acronym, it's such a negative connotation, isn't it? Uh -huh. I mean, so, um, yeah. So what were you going to say about germ though, Mike? Because I have a lot of notes about germ. So, so he basically describes this as it's an unofficial educational yes. agenda that relies on a certain set of assumptions to improve educational systems. And it has, and it has, it has spread, this germ has spread all over the world. <laughs> it's now a new educational orthodoxy within many recent education reforms. And it's really spread in the US, Australia, Canada, and the UK. Yeah, and what's fascinating to me is he talks a couple different times that this global education reform movement, unfortunately, um, they're using corporate models. 
Okay, so they're trying Bingo. to from the they're taking all of this information and knowledge from the business world. And um uh, so I have that they have corporate models that insist on employing management concepts and principles from the business world. So what happens, Mike's mentioned this in previous uh, uh, chats that we've had, that big companies, big testing companies, big um, curriculum companies like Pearson, and you know that was one of the ones that he mentioned, we've got these huge corporate entities who are trying to dictate you know, what our curriculum should be. And so unfortunately, we're using the business world and trying to create education reform out of that. And unfortunately, it is not working. So the five components of GERM, of global education reform movement, competition between schools, standardization of teaching and learning, punitive test-based accountability, ill-informed performance-based pay for teachers, and data-driven decision making. So that's on page 142. If you have the book, he just sort of outlines in a nutshell what germ is, because what he is going to do, um, uh, the author is he's going to do a great job of saying, so the rest of the world is using germ because mm -hmm. it's the rest of the world. And Finland wants nothing to do with germ. Finland has gone a totally different route. So when we learn about the Finnish education system, it is teacher autonomy and school autonomy. Their mm -hmm. teachers are highly, highly trained, and they teach based on the students they have that year, the relationships they have with them, and they're able to take information and tailor it to the unique individual of their class. Mm -hmm. Here with uh, GERM, what they're really focusing on is corporate money and corporate values. And Paul Tuff touched on this in the last chapter of How Children Succeed, is the American educational system is looking more and more like the American office. Yeah, so it, 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 it that's, that's really what it is. You clock in, you sit down, you do your work, you clock out. It's, it's, right. it's, it's that, that's exactly what it is. And these, kids are, and these kids are expected to sit there in front of their Chromebooks now right. and, and their private Just schools. Like and their parents sitting yep. in their cubicle at work. There is exactly. a big difference, is there? And yeah, that's I exactly what it is. Uh, and, and I don't know, I just always write the page number, but just in case you're following along, page 142, I love that he says, educational reform, governments often employ outdated and bad management models from the corporate world. I mean, he doesn't there you have go. words here. I mean, he nope. is just telling us, look, you guys, if you want to fix your education system, you have to stop treating education um, uh, like a corporation, right? You have to treat it for what it is. And so um, he, he um, talks about these five globally um, uh, common features of education reform in, in other countries, not Finland, of course, but in these other countries. So is it all right if we go through these five points, Mike? Because Let's I do it. That, um, yeah, they're on like page 143 through 147. I mean, he just has a lot to say about these. So mm -hmm. these are all really based on the cognitive hypothesis. So really the emergence for germs stems from three things. One is the cognitive hypothesis. Two is public demand um, for effective learning for all. And while that sounds great because that sounds like equity, the problem is when you use test-based, you know, when you use standardized yep. scores and you say everybody has to succeed, what it does is raises the bar for everyone then to the point where it's not making any sense. And then the third reason that germ emerged is competition and accountability movement in education. So um, we are going to uh, go over these five globally common features of education reform in other countries, not in Finland. The first is, and Mike mentioned this, he touched on this, increased competition among schools um, to uh, you know, better their education. Because the thought was, ooh, if we offer com 
competitiveness between schools, won't that make everybody raise their bar? Well, you might think so, but what about in the inner city? What about where they're, you know, you're in rural, um, I don't know, Idaho or Kansas or somewhere where there isn't huge population, there's not a huge tax base. How exactly are you going to compete with public school? So the problem with competition, and these are the three terms. Now you tell me living here in America, do you hear these terms? Parent choice, charter mm. schools, and mm -mm. voucher systems, right? This is what, what everybody in America thinks we want. But guess what, in Finland, I actually Googled it to make sure, because I don't like to, to, to speak out of turn, is everyone in Finland attends public schools and public universities. There are not public schools and public universities in Finland. Now, it did say there are a few what they call private, or I didn't, I didn't mean public. They, everyone in Finland attends public. There are no private schools, private universities. Now, having said that, it looks like there are a few what they call private schools in Finland, but you, they can't charge tuition. They exactly. Are still, they are yep. still government funded. So yeah, yep. I don't know what makes them private. They just are, I don't know. But it's not like here in the States where, oh, you want your child to go to XYZ school? Well, that'll be $30,000 a year, you know, more than college tuition. So that way you can say your child goes to, you know, like Mike was talking about, right? These private schools for um, grade school, middle school, high school. You, you should hear how much they are out here. I, it is I insane. $30,000 would be, would, would be a, a cakewalk around here. No way. It is, it is insane how much parents spend to send their kids, e and even private kindergartens. Like, when I, I talk to so many parents about sending their kids to a private school for kindergarten, preschool, first grade, second grade, like, hey. And, and, and these are people in really, really good suburbs, really, really good towns, where the public school is really, really good. But it's sort of like a status thing to send your kids to the private school. Uh, and it's, it's all this, this whole school choice aspect. Right. Uh, and you know, and, and you, you look and you, I, there are places here in Philadelphia where on one side of the street is a, almost a billion dollar private school and a mile down the road is a public school that has no money. Falling apart probably. Falling apart. Yeah. 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 It's so really amazing. So it's really interesting to me to think about if we want to start looking at education reform uh, here in the United States, we would have to uh, do away with school choice. We would have to do away with private school. And so you can see why. I, I mean, sometimes I think, are we just living in a dream world? Is there any opportunity for education reform in this country? Because there's a lot of money to be made. You know, well, the biggest the, the biggest thing that we have to do is improve public education. Right. So if so, it if we be the best. That's Public education needs to put these private schools to shame, and then the private schools will close because everybody will be like, why would I pay 30 or 50 or $70,000 yep. a year yep. to send my kid to St. whatever, whatever private school when my local community school has the highest trained teachers, has the best staff, you know, has, you know, so yeah, that's what we're going to have to work for. And um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how to go about affecting change. So the first part of germ global um education uh reform um the second part is standardization in education okay so unfortunately um we have this unquestioned belief by policymakers. Mm -hmm. so now we're talking government right we have unquestioned belief by policymakers that setting high performance standards for schools students and teachers will automatically will necessarily improve achievement of desired outcomes and guess what it doesn't it's not happening no. Right? 
yep. shown over and over that making yep. everything um, based on test scores, our education system isn't any better, okay, than it was um, uh, before this huge push in the co with the cognitive hypothesis. And on, on page 143, he gives uh, information from Diane Ravitch from 2013. So right in the middle of the page. Uh -huh. she, ha she has described how venture philanthropists inject billions of dollars yes. into the public education system in the United States and to a lesser extent in some countries and often insists on employing management concepts and principles borrowed from the business world in the school system. So, so because they're giving billions, they're like, now I'm yes, in charge, right? Exactly. So here's my money exactly. because your, your education system needs my help and I've got this yep. foundation and I've got $5 billion I want to give you, but in order to give you my money, I'm going to control it. So, so one, one of the most jaw-dropping parts of the yes. first book we read, How Children Succeed, was when Tuff was interviewing these educational researchers. And it got to the point where they were like, okay, this is really bad. This is really bad. Kids are not succeeding. They're not thriving. They don't like school. What's going on? And, he, and the guy said to Tuff straight up, the only thing I could think of is that this is done on purpose so these people will go into the workforce and not complain, not think bigger, not uh, question leadership, right. not, be, not be creative, just be quiet, do their work, and leave. Uh, and that's so really like robots, yeah. right? We just need you to robots. Exactly. Not think to exactly. Not question. We don't want you to be creative. That's the last thing we want. We'd like you to turn the right side of your brain off at all possible because we do right. not want right you, here. Right. The executive so functioning. Busy work. We don't want you to get yeah. bored because when people get bored, they get creative, right? They get imaginative. Yep. So heaven forbid American workers get creative. Right. And so we're going to give you all this busy work and uh, uh, make sure that you don't have that opportunity. Um, on one page, page 148, I'm just going to throw this in here now because it kind of ties in. Um, voices of educators are rarely heard in the education policy and reform business. Okay? There you go. Um, uh, the uh, education reform rhetoric is usually technical discourse by academics or what they call change consultants. And how much do you think they're paying these change consultants who know nothing about education? So this is where I think if we are ever going to affect change in, here in the United States uh, for education reform, we're going to have to start listening to the voices of educators. We're going to have to start listening to the voices of people who are, you know, who work directly with students, who understand brain development, who understand executive function development, yep. who understand yep. child development, who understand the power of play, um, who understand um, that a, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a 10-year-old are not just short adults that you cannot use a business model on children because when you're talking about business, you're talking about adults. Right. I mean, what, like there's almost no common sense to what, how we currently, you know, run our education system. So, um, yeah, it, just, yeah. it blows my mind. Okay. And so it, we've got, yeah. Yeah. Did you want to say something else? Yeah. You? And, 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 and you, and you think about, uh, you know, aside from this whole topic of educational reform, there's also a whole separate topic of work reform. And now people are talking about, oh, is working from home better? There's some, there's some discussion of a four-day week. There's some discussion of, uh, you know, longer breaks here and there. There's always, there's always the labor talk as well, because you want to ask yourself, what has the American office, what has the corporate world done to the American people? And it's brought a lot of stress, and it's brought a lot of problems, and it's created a lot of anxiety, and it's really hurt people 
having to work so much, make so little, and really, really be stressed by their job. And I would love to hear from the Chapter Chat community out yeah. there. You know, let us know, where do you guys work? Uh, you know, is your work something that, you know, brings joy to your life or does it, does it add a lot of stress? You know, where, like, let it, let us know, where do you, where do you guys live? Where do you work? Uh, and, and what about and, your kids? Do you and, feel yeah. like they're back in school now? Are they stressed by school? Yeah. Do they love school? Is there a lot of joy? You know, yeah, we would love for you guys to just uh, go ahead and make some comments and we'll take a break and read some of them um, after you guys start commenting because we do really like some input from you guys. Um, I, I think that stress and anxiety are an extremely big concern for a lot of of kids um, because uh, the cognitive hypothesis is uh, about grade inflation. And so we're teaching the second grade curriculum in kindergarten, the first grade curriculum with four-year-olds and the ninth grade curriculum in seventh grade. You know, I mean, there's this two-year grade inflation essentially in this country. Um, and so uh, we, we definitely... Um, I don't know. We've got, we've got big issues. So yeah. a couple comments that we've had is early childhood is not just dumbed down kindergarten. Right. And it's, you know, I think that's what so many people think is, well, it's just a waste of time. All they do is just play anyways. Um, you know, I, in my play seminar, I have a whole section on the neuroscience behind play. I mean, it is it, play based learning is rooted in neuroscience. So let's be clear that there's no such thing as just playing because playing is learning playing and learning are synonyms and play is necessary to develop executive function skills. So, um, you know, uh, we have a lot of work to do to educate these so-called policy makers on uh, what is uh, good pedagogy uh, in, in early childhood, most certainly. Exactly. What other comments say, Mike? Are you reading Yep. Me? So, uh, so my good friend Callie here, uh, school-based SLP near Dallas, Texas. I love being an SLP, of course, uh, the practice of doing it but it's very, very frustrating being in education currently for yeah. all of the mentions reasoned. Uh, and we have a, a, another, an, another great one here uh, in Ontario, Canada. School starts tomorrow. My grade one son is feeling very anxious. You know, it, we think about this is the American office, the American corporate office is very unhealthy to human beings. Mm -hmm. but, but we're talking about adults here. We're talking about adults. Who have fully who, developed Who have fully, system. exactly. Who, uh. who are, who are resilient, who have coping skills and can get through it and can, you know, check out of work, go home and do things they love and use these skills. Right. But when we are taking the American corporate office and taking that idea and instituting it in our children who literally are, are their brains are growing every day. They're having synapses every day. Their frontal lobe is being, uh, being uh, grown by the experiences they have. We can't keep doing this to our students you know, the, the adults can find different ways to cope and be resilient. Right. When we are taking these corporate ideas and putting them into education, we are absolutely hurting these kids long-term. And it, it grew from the cognitive hypothesis. The cognitive hypothesis created the, goal, the global education reform movement. And this entire movement is increasing stress and anxiety and executive dysfunction in our students today. Uh, and it's and this author in this chapter did such an unbelievable job listing these things out. If you go to the chart on page 149, let's yeah. talk about this chart on page 149. So he basically talks about all of the foundations of GERM, the global education reform movement, and what the finished model is. So number one, we talk about we talk about this, about this all the time, is the global education reform movement, which is basically America, Australia. 
England, you know, the big, uh, the big organizations, uh, the big companies and uh, competition between schools. That's what they do. There's competition between schools. And I see it every day, public, private, charter, you know, the private schools here probably spend more money marketing than the public schools even have, period. It's unbelievable. Every private school around here in Philadelphia has a marketing person, uh, has, you know, a social media person, uh, people who give tours every day, all of these things. Here, here we have a principal of a private school in Jamaica. I love my job and my son also loves going to school but I work very hard on ensuring our teachers are being cognizant on creating balance. And her and I have had some great conversations uh, as she, you know, she always messaged me after the chapter chats. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's so this, part of what I love about doing this book club is learning about education in other places besides America and Finland and you guys reaching out and sharing these ideas. Because remember the cognitive hypothesis was what Paul Tuff saw in America but the global education reform movement is what's happening around the world. Uh, Finland's getting it right, but so many countries are getting it wrong. And Finland does not allow for competition between schools. They want collaboration because they say the basic assumption is that educating people is a collaborative process and that cooperation, networking, and sharing ideas among schools will eventually raise the quality of education. When schools, when, when schools collaborate, they help one another, help teachers, and create a culture of cooperation in their classrooms. Think about that. Think about yeah. that. It is. It's amazing. So if you have the book, you really just, this chart, I mean, it's yeah. just so perfect because it just contrasts what's happening in Finland um, versus what's happening really in, in the rest of the world. Before we go on with that chart, though, Mike, I had said that there were five things. I do just want to finish these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe taking notes. So I just, before we jump onto that, so the um, five global features of education reform, we had competition among schools, standardization in education. This third one I find so fascinating, and it was focus on core subjects. So it started with No Child Left Behind here in the United States, has been perpetuated by Race to the Top. So let's be clear, Mike, and I had mentioned this, I think it was in the last book, that you can't blame this on one political party because uh yeah, no child yeah. left behind was republican and race to the top was democrat so please don't try to make this political divide because it's, it's not going to work it is a political problem because we have politicians uh determining involved policy. at all yeah, yeah yeah they shouldn't be involved at the, in this at this at least not at this level but so um the third um uh, component of germ is this focus on core subject so what happens is when they focus primarily on um, literacy and numeracy. So those are the real, the yep. two big things that they yep. focus on. The problem is then you end up stealing teaching time away from social studies, from the arts, from music. Um, and because of this focus on the, the common core, if you will, the core subjects, there has been a complete abolishment of play-based learning altogether, okay? So yep. when we wonder what happened to play, there's that, an awesome uh, uh, document that I've probably talked about. I talk about it in my play seminar, but it's called um, Crisis in the Kindergarten, Why Children Need to Play in School. And it is from the Alliance for Early Childhood. Uh, put that out. They published that. But uh, they talk so much about how every, I mean, it was just, everybody knew you played in early childhood, right? You played yep. kindergarten is the original early childhood. And we know that there is no play left in kindergarten today. And we know that in many preschools, play is being abolished in the name of sitting at a kidney-shaped table doing worksheets. Um, you know, here, can I just show you something, Mike? Let me, let me just show you. Okay, because, <laughs> um, yeah, 
I know, I'm always grabbing something. No, that's great. I'm going to show this to you because when I do my play seminar, I always whip this out. And I just, it just makes my blood boil, okay? So this is a newspaper article. I, um, as a professional speaker, I travel around the country and at my hotel, they always give me a newspaper. I don't really read the newspaper, but um, when they give it to me, I might, I might flip through it. So I'm, I'm flipping through the USA Today and I see this photo and I'm like, ooh, I want to read this article because anytime I see somebody sitting at a, at a kidney-shaped table, I know that's an early childhood educator, okay? Yep. So here you yep. have a teacher sitting around a kidney-shaped table with two adorable little boys. They both have worksheets and number two pencils in their hand. And here's what the caption reads. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Pre-kindergarten teacher, Angela Tyrone, helps Jarrell Love, age four, write a sentence. Mm. I mean, do you understand mm. that four-year-olds shouldn't be writing sentences? Why mm. are four-year-olds even holding a number two pencil? Why are four-year-olds doing worksheets? This is the kind of crap that is happening in American education, and it's because of the cognitive hypothesis, because of this emphasis on common core, right? We have to make sure that we are hypervigilant on these subjects. So, um, yes, it says in this, in this wonderful book we're reading, success in life and employment requires young people who are curious, know how to work with others, that's called collaboration, can solve difficult problems, ooh, problem solving skills, that's important, and who can master leadership. So Look that's that. what has been proven to have successful um, you know, young adults, what, the, the kind of people we need going into the workforce, right? And yet, what we're focusing on are these common core subjects and forgetting about holistic, right? Forgetting yep. about the whole child, yep. What yep. we care about are test scores, okay, specifically related to literacy and numeracy. The fourth component of GERM is test-based accountability. So there's performance-based pay for teachers. Um, they also mentioned, or the, the author mentioned data walls in the teacher's lounge. I'm not a teacher, so I don't know what's going on in the teacher's lounge, but apparently some schools have data walls, like with numbers, so you can see how your, you know, your class is doing compared to other classes. Um, and then there are school rankings. And I know all too well about school rankings because when we picked where we were gonna move when our kids were younger, you better believe we were looking at school rankings. But Mike, tell us about Finland. Tell us about school rankings in Finland. Exactly, there you have it. So everything, it, right? every single thing you just listed was exactly what was on that chart. So it's, so it's, it's one through five, competition, standardized learning, focus, oh, on, li same, focus on literacy and numeracy, test-based accountability, school choice that's yep. exactly what it is period so he does it twice in this chapter he yeah. talks about it and then he puts it in a chart form You're and the chart this right. chart this chart right here is something that every single person in this book club can photocopy and yes. give to their school instantly because yep. all because basically this is what it is we have the cognitive hypo the cognitive hypothesis which was a hypothesis. Which and is then, not used in this book. So do it, not think that term shows up because yes. that was what our first author, he coined right that here. term, okay? He coined the term, the cognitive hypothesis. Yep. But when Mike and I post on social media and when we have conversations and when we write our book, you better believe we're gonna use that term because yep. it's so important that we contrast the cognitive hypothesis with education reform, right? What needs to happen is we need to move away from cognitive hypothesis and start looking at executive function skills. So basically if the cognitive hypothesis was just that, the hypothesis germ was the product. You know, first we have the hypothesis of IQ, 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 push testing, push testing. Everything is about smartness. Push it as young as possible. Germ is what came from it. It's the product 
of the hypothesis. And everything that we have here, this is what has now happened. When we have an intensive focus, when we have four-year-olds writing sentences, when we're, and he even, he even gets into it here, and I probably put 10 stars next to this. <laughs> so he talked about on page 146, no child left behind. So I, I, I would like to believe that when politicians do educational uh, reform, they have good things in mind, but no child left behind led most school districts to steal teaching time from other subjects. Remember in, the, remember in the previous chapter, he talked about how American teachers spend more hours teaching than any other. Remember, less is more. Yeah. Yep. So uh, from others, especially from social studies, arts, and music. Yep. yep. Arts and music, experience-based, imagining, imagination-based right. classes. And then playtime from children by abolishing recess in many schools so students will be better prepared for state tests. Yeah, so we're basically unbelievable. teaching to the test. That's what American education is, is teaching to the test. And I do want to go back for a second because a lot of people, as I'm reading through, you know, the comments yeah, yeah, people yeah. are making about stress and anxiety. Um, let's be crystal clear here that basically so many American students, their day begins at 6 a.m. or earlier because so yep. many kids have to go to before school care, you know, so they may have to be at school at 5.45 or 6 a.m. They may have to go to after school care, so they may be there till 6 p.m. So let's be clear that young children today in this country are leading adult-paced lives. Now, I want you to think about how crazy your life is, okay? And think about, could you have handled that when you were five? Nope. When you were seven, when you were nine. I know this book, I keep whipping books off. Not the when I was the not when I was twenty-five. Child, yeah, The Hurried Child by Dr. David Elkin is just so worth yes. reading because it yes. really talks about how we are creating a mental health um, epidemic in children because we're expecting them to lead adult paced lives. And this explains why when I look at my bookshelf of children's books, why I have to have so many books. Um, like little monkey calms down. Why the hell is little monkey so stressed out? I mean, he's a freaking baby. Why is he so stressed out? And B is for breathe. This is one of my favorite books, but I'm like, why do I need a book that helps children um, calm down? Why do we need this? And it's that's so a, that's an amazing point. Right, that we have so Amazing much anxiety point. and so much stress in childhood yep. today that we yep. now have an entire new like um, type of book that we have to create for children to help them have adult coping skills. Wow, what that are we is doing, Mike? Uh, that is fascinating. I I have never connected those dots. That is so unbelievably true. There's you know there's a whole new like demographic here yeah, of kids. Who are yeah, like I, 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 I remember it's a mental I, health issue that oh, we goodness. are creating because we refuse to look at DAP developmentally appropriate practice. We refuse to um, follow it here in the United States, and that's why we have test prep workbooks for kindergartners. Oh, I could go off on this thing. This is another one of my. I mean, there. The, oh my god! Crap that is available on the market. I'm appalled. And I mean, literally appalled uh, that, that these things are expected, you know, that, oh, this is what two-year-olds do. Two-year-olds need a letter of the week and a number of the week. And we're learning sight words. Oh, by three, we need to be memorizing our sight words. Have we lost our minds? I mean, that's what I want to know is have we lost our minds? Because nothing about that has anything to do with developmentally appropriate practice. Unbelievable. I remember I used to work with a young boy who I believe was going into kindergarten at the time. And he read this book called like Bubblegum Brain. And okay. it's, all, it's all about how your brain gets stuck on uh -huh. something negative 
and it makes you pop a lot and you, and oh. you can't focus on something because you get so anxious and okay. you get stuck with bubble, but your, your brain gets bubble stuff. Bubble wow. And he, and he was using these terms. And I remember I was working with him and trying to, uh, you know, make it very play-based and make it very, uh, this, and he kept using these terms he learned in the book. Like, I can't do that. I'm bubble stuck. I'm this, I'm that. Wow. And it's, and I, and you talking about that made me think of that. And it's just so fascinating that kids, like parents are taking this little idea, kids. these social little stories, kids. little yeah. kids having to learn about anxiety, little kids with no responsibilities have to learn right. about anxiety. That is, that's terrible. So if they're that anxious in freaking kindergarten, like what are they going to do when they have a mortgage? What are they going to do when they get cancer? What are they going to do when they have to adult, you know, because they're going to no drop out of college. And you darn well, yeah, what are they going to do when they get to college? You darn well better have resiliency and persistence and grit and problem-solving skills. And, and you have to develop those. But my goodness, why do three-year-olds need, you know, all of these strategies to reduce anxiety? Something else somebody just said here before it goes away, Mike, is they've also created a whole genre of toys to provide kids with movement. Because, A, we don't let them get outside and play, have natural play. But the other thing is excessive screen time. Kids won't go outside and play because of all this excessive screen time, right? So we've got that. So another one of my favorite books, again, I know I say this every week, but A Moving Child is a Learning Child is far and away the best book I've ever read, bar none, if you work in early childhood or if you have young children. Because I'm telling you right now, the, the, the main thing young children need for their nervous systems to, to develop is play-based movement. And that will include varied experiences, right? So it is so absolutely critical that we have screen time mindfulness, that we make sure that children have balanced um, activities, that they are outside, that they are engaging in movement because a moving child is a learning child. And so children who don't move, guess what? They're going to have significant uh, learning struggles. I can, I can, I can promise you that. So it's, it's um, unbelievable. So it's, and, and, and the, the, you know, the number one thing that we learn from this paraschoola, this finish way is yes. that the kids love school the kids enjoy they school do. it's part they of culture and, and they don't not have tons of homework they don't have and... tons of homework they talked in that one chapter i can't remember which chapter it was that sometimes they might have you know 15 20 minutes of homework not every night though but that they you know once they're done with school they're done and you know this is going to lead me back to this book that i bring up every week the homework myth by alfie Cohn, that says look yeah. homework is busy work and you show me the evidence behind homework and then we can talk you know so we have um there are so many things that we need to do um, when we talk about education reform but i think one of the uh, most fascinating things is when they talked about school choice that chart you were sharing mike you know on page yep. 149 yep. um that uh the global education reform movement says school choice the Finnish model says equity of outcomes right so that's the difference there but i thought it was fascinating that when he talked about school choice this stems from milton friedman i had to google him to find out who mr milton friedman was but it's uh -huh. milton friedman's economic theories from the 1950s wow. that's where school choice stems from so what i appreciate is that this chapter what was it called again mike um the finish way Competitive welfare state. Competitive welfare state, which I don't really even know. But remember when I said in the beginning that it was all about tying education and economics, you know, that there's yep. like this, that it, how your, your economic structure and your educational structure um, are, are somehow tied together. So I thought this was fascinating that this school choice actually stems from an economist, you know, his theories from the 1950s. So I just. From I the 1950s. Think about yeah, that. The school 1950s. choice from the 1950s. 
you know, there's, you know, the 19, the 1950s in America, you know, there's, there's some prejudice in there. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's yeah. going to be, a, there's going to be a lot of problems in there. And we're still talking about school choice today. So on page 149, this is an important chart. Every single person turned to it. So we talked about in germ, competition, finish, collaboration. Yep. In germ, standardized testing, standardized testing, standardized testing, the finish model, personalized learning. I love setting, it so much. That's my setting, favorite one. No, my favorite one is the next one. Focus on the oh, whole okay. job. Setting, oh. a, setting a clear but flexible national framework for school-based curriculum planning, encouraging school-based and individual solutions to national goals in order to find the best ways to create personalized learning opportunities for all. So yeah. I, I cannot tell you. I remember when I was originally an education major back in college, and okay. all, I, all I heard about was the common core, the common core, the common core, the common core, which we know today was all a push for companies to have their textbooks and, their, and all of their materials into schools. So it was really a lot of you know, polit politics in, in education. Sure. But this right here, getting rid of something that says, okay, this is standardized, getting rid of all standardized and moving to personalized learning, that right there, period, is the reason why kids in Finland love school. Period. It is personalized to them. Because what do SLPs do? What do we do in our one-on-one -on -one sessions? We personalize the learning. And right. that's why kids say, oh, great, it's speech time. I get to, I get to go to speech. I get to feel special. Therapy for the there most you go. Because there it's you individualized, go. right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I have an autistic son who um, has always struggled, you know, academically, especially, you know, with our education system here in America. But here's what I've never understood, I guess, is why in the world would we want to compare my son um, to standardized scores of other children? I'm not understanding how that's going to help anybody. I can already tell you without any standardized testing at all that my son is going to struggle with language. He's going to struggle with literacy. So I'm not sure why we need a standardized test. What are you going to do? Compare and say, oh, he's in the the, you know, this really low percentile, or he's two and a half standard deviations below the mean. Okay, so are you telling me you learned something new? Because all you have to do is have a conversation with him to know that he is a struggling learner. And so all I want to make sure is that my son is better, um, you know, tomorrow than he was yesterday. I mean, I want to always compare my son's progress to his baseline, not to anybody else's yep. average. Okay, yep. I don't understand. And so for me, as a parent of an autistic child, personalized learning is all I've ever wanted for my son, right? That's all I've ever wanted. That's why as an SLP, I, I am so adamant about individualized therapy sessions, right? That's why I'm not a big believer in using like themes and these, these, these things where you have to do the same thing with every student because there's no way that's individualized then. Yep. So yep. I have a very unique perspective because I am a parent of an autistic son. And so I see the struggles that he has with this education system, right? And, and so I, I just personalized learning to me is just common sense, but we don't do that here at all. Yeah. And, and the, the opposite of personalized learning so you have personalized learning tailored towards a unique individual, which increases self-regulation, self-motivation, and overall, you know, uh, intrinsic motivation towards the learning and all of that. So the opposite of personalized learning is standardized learning. Right. That's it. There's no, yeah. there's no middle ground. It's personalized right. or, it's, or standardized. it's standardized. And yeah. on, on page 144, he talks about how this, how germ has uh, created this movement that has led to the introduction 
of education standards, indicators, and benchmarks. And when I read that sentence, I instantly start to think about us as speech pathologists in the school system, all of these standardized testing that we're using to get kids eligible for services. So many kids fall through the cracks yep. because the, the, there's no such thing as a perfect standardized test. And right. it's unbelievable. We go through grad. I remember going through grad school and I remember and, and when you're a grad student, you're so nervous to learn the tests and administer them correctly and those sorts of things when, you're, when your professors are watching you and you're around all right. your peers. You don't even get a chance to think to yourself and say, wait a second, why are we giving these tests to begin with? Right. Why, why does one little thing where I, flip, where I flip a chart and I say point to, the point to the black square and then the white triangle, mm -hmm. what is that doing to a yeah. kid who is totally internally disorganized, to right. a kid who has unbelievable anxiety, to right. a kid who can't, to a kid who can't uh, use his visual imagery system to right. forecast himself into the future, to know what homework looks like when it's done, to know yeah. what his room looks like when it's clean, so that or he can motivate, right. so he can motivate towards non-preferred tasks. He right. can sit there and stare at shapes and point to them, but that has nothing to do with his ability to be successful independent. And all of these standardized tests is the adult saying to the kid, do this, do this, do this. So it's and prompts, sorry, prompts, prompts, prompts. Exactly. Yeah. So standardized testing is all about prompting. You are yeah. being prompted to regurgitate information. And right. what's the opposite of executive functioning? Prompts. Prompt dependent. Kids who because are prompt dependent. I, what I've learned from you, Mike, is so much the ultimate goal of executive functioning is independence, right? It's it. being able to do things without having an adult there reminding you or prompting you or constantly, you know, uh, giving you cues and reminders of what to do. In order to be a functional member of society, you must be independent. You must be able to uh, uh, problem solve on your own. Yeah, we all know you're going to fail because everybody fails, but you have to be able to learn from your mistakes. So we have yep. to allow failure. That's something we don't like to do either in this country is allow kids to fail. So And this, okay, is, and this is why, yeah, go ahead. And yeah. this is why so many of these IEPs and 504 plans are not helping our kids. They are creating, they are making them more prompt dependent. And IEPs and 504s, all these massive accommodations, these massive, uh, you know, different things that they're, that they're trying to individualize the education uh -huh. are hurting the kids in the long term. Because, because are it's not addressing executive dysfunction. Not, a, not addressing it. And it's giving, it's making the kids more prompt dependent and they go to college where they, college don't, where they don't have that. Yeah. There's, there's all of these problems. So if, if, they, if yeah. we learn to get rid of the standardized testing and personalize the learning immediately and stressing out the SLP, there you yes. go. So if, so if we learn to get rid of standardized testing all together, all together and personalize the learning towards a unique individual, that's when these kids are going to learn to be independent. And yes. we can provide these personalized learning services during the crucial, crucial years of early childhood. And then by middle school, high school, they're independent. And that leads to, on the chart, Mike, this is perfect, because it leads to the third thing, which in global education reform movement in GERM, the focus is on literacy and num yep. numeracy, basic knowledge and skills in reading, writing, uh, mathematics, and natural sciences are the prime targets of education reform. But what do they do in the finished model? And this is so beautiful. They focus on the whole child. Right? Love it. And I could love not it. love that more. because. Everything about education should be relevant and meaningful. If education isn't purposeful, if education is just teaching to a test, 
How in the world is that going to grow students who can become successful adults? I'm sorry, life is not about taking a standardized test, okay? So how many times do we have students who, can, who are really good test takers but who fail in life? Being able to take a test yeah. does not mean that you have the executive function skills to be independent, okay, to be able to make it in this world. So I love that the Finnish model focuses on collaboration among schools instead of competition, personalized learning instead of standardized learning, focus on the whole child instead of focusing primarily on those core subjects. And then what's the next one there, Mike? And, and even part of what they say, so if you looked at my post on that school training I just did, I, I, I did a training at a really great uh, – uh, Jewish school in, in the area here. It was such an unbelievable school and people were so eager to learn. The name of my presentation was Executive Functioning and the Whole Child. When we look at the whole child and not just this little bit of IQ, we realize it. And he says it, teaching and learning focus on deep, broad learning, giving equal, equal value to all aspects of growth. The individual's personality, moral character, creativity, knowledge, ethics, and skills. And look right here. Oh, the last sentence is my favorite though, Mike. Aim of schooling is to find each student's talent. And, Wouldn't and, it be a miracle if that's what we focused on? And, and right here from the first book, there you go. So it always comes back to executive functioning skills, yeah. not character skills, non-cognitive skills, whatever you want to call them, even though they are right. cognitive skills, of course. Right. But, but it's, it's so unbelievable how it comes back to these core skills. And this chapter talked about, yes, these kids like school. Yes, they love to read. And yes, their school system is going well. But after school, when they graduate, Finland's economy is thriving. Because yeah. so many people are coming out of school ready to work, ready to contribute, and ready to be a part of society because of this work on executive functioning. Which is how now I see what he meant when he said education and your economic system are intertwined. You can't you go. separate them out, right? Amazing. Un it's Amazing. unbelievable. Yeah. So then the next thing that we have um, on that chart, global ex uh, educational reform movement, test-based accountability, whereas in Finland, it is trust-based responsibility. Trust-based. Trust I mean, based. isn't this amazing? Gradually building a culture of responsibility and trust within the education system that values teachers. Whoo! Imagine that. Values teachers and principal professionalism in judging what is best for students. Targeting resources and support to schools and students who are at risk to fail or to be left behind. Sample-based student assessments and thematic research are used to inform policymaking. So it's not that they don't do any assessment. We're not saying that in Finland yes. there's no assessment at all. We're saying there's yes. no standardized assessments. We're saying the teacher, after every six-week course, um, you know, or however often they want to, they have to assess learning. I mean, they have to have, they're still data-driven. Please don't think that it's like, oh, just go to school and we hope you learn something, right? No, it, there's still assessments, you guys. It's just they're not standardized. So they look at the, the kids in the class, they look at their baseline and they say yes they have mastered these skills they have enough to move on and if they haven't mastered them they have they have to stay in that class right they're not just going to move them on there aren't grade levels in upper um, uh, secondary education in Finland like there is in the United States so it's a whole different um, you know and in, in past chapters we've talked about the Finnish education system and how it is set up so different uh, from here in the United States um, and it allows for flexibility in scheduling, uh, depending on the student's interests. I mean, everything about it, I just think is phenomenal. And then the last thing on the chart, Mike, school choice is the global education, the germ way, whereas the Finnish model is equity. Equity of, of outcomes. 
the, op- the opposite of what we have here. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just so unbelievable when, and, uh, and he also talked about in this chapter, some countries are recognizing how standardized testing is hurting the students. And there's a lot of countries now that are scaling back uh, their standardized testing. Uh, but this global education reform movement uh, and then the total Taylor opposite, the Finnish model, where it's collaboration, personalized learning, focus on the whole child. All of these things, once again, are free. We don't need a billionaire uh, philanthropist right. to, to, to give money to schools to do these things. All of these things can be done. Uh, and, and this is what he talked about in, in his podcast. The author of this book is he talks about, you know, you read this book, you should come away with hope. You don't yeah. need to, you don't need to say, uh, you know, my school is, 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 is in so deep. There's so many problems. If Finland did it, we can do it. And all right. of the, all of these things that they're doing are things that need to happen, especially in early childhood. Well, that's that, that where it has to start, Mike. If we're going to make it. That's the number one thing. It has to be, has that's to it. Start. We yes. have to reform early childhood because if we can do that, then we can build. From there but you can't start in like high school and say let's no. reform high school that's not no. where this is going to happen because where we're screwing up big time is in early childhood okay so i just have to read this because on page 149 where it says equity of outcomes i mean i just i could not love this more so basic premise is that all children should have equal prospects for educational success in school because school learning is strongly influenced by children's family background and associated factors Equity of outcomes requires that schools are funded according to their real needs to cope with these inequalities. Here's the best statement. You ready? School choice, which we foster here in the United States, often leads to segregation that increases inequity of outcomes. That is the problem, right? The haves versus the have-nots. Oh, if your parents have money, you get to send your child to that $50,000 a year school. But if your parents don't have a lot of money, poor you, you have to go to public school. Sorry. Yep. Yep. Sorry, that's just too bad. Because here in America, that's what we say is it is for the wealthy, right? And in Finland, they say, oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. Every school, every local school will be equitable, right? Meaning yeah. they are they are funded the same. There is no competition. So you can't choose to not go to your local school because they don't allow for school competition. And then we try to create more politics into education and create this thing called FAPE, which is the free and affordable public education, which allows families to sue their public school district to get money for school choice to send them to the school of their choice, which yeah, is why- handle it, I'll yeah. go through due process. What is it, free and appropriate education? Free and appropriate education, yeah. 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 Um, uh, so it allows, I mean, think how much, think how much our education system spends on due process, because, it's, it's, you know- It's bad, that, that, it's bad. That's not gonna happen. I mean, in a, in a country, in an education system where there is equity built in. So- how many, um, how many SLPs here have ever been a part of a due process case? You know, that, that's something they don't teach you in grad school is someday, no. you, might, someday you might have to testify in yeah. a courtroom about your services to a student. And yeah. just, the, just the fact that you're doing that, think about that for a second. Why are speech pathologists having to testify in a court of law about their services? I guarantee you that's not happening in Finland. Yeah. I guarantee schools, parents are not suing their school districts in Finland. School, school, there's some school districts out here in Pennsylvania that it's, it's probably 10 plus lawsuits a year and oh, are yeah. dr- drowning oh, in, dr- 
drowning in lawyer fees. And yep. this, this system, and, and another thing is, you know, you can say, oh, just sue your school district. But how many families out there that are in these problems with these terrible school districts can, af can, can afford a lawyer? and can can deal with all of these problems so it's a broken system to begin with and it if is. we if we personalize learning focus on executive functioning but right. we always always say it if we take early childhood in america flip it on its head from from what the cognitive hypothesis and what germ has done to it it is going to create better outcomes down the road everything here starts in early childhood and there is no reason why you look at this chart there is no reason why early childhood in this country cannot use every single one of these tenants of the finished model okay so the one last thing i want to do um is talk about the five american educational ideas that have been instrumental in accelerating finland's success so on page yes. 167 what i love so much is this author says hey you know finland is doing great but let me be clear that uh, so much of what we implemented came from the United States, the research from the United States. So this is where, to me, this is why this is the last part of the chapter. And I was like, oh, my gosh, these are our ideas and we're not even implementing them. OK, so here we go. So there are five of them. One is John Dewey's philosophy of education. So these pedagogical ideas date back to. Um, the 1860, blah, blah, blah. There's all this stuff. But basically, are you ready for this? This guy, his philosophy was that both boys and girls must learn all the practical skills that people need in everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, the pragmatic, mm -hmm. child-centered, educational thinking of John Dewey has been widely accepted among Finnish educators. Did you hear that? Child-centered, educational thinking that stems from john as an american philosopher okay so finland's got it the united states goes no we prefer adult directed we don't really want to follow the child's lead um um oh the name of the book is finished lessons 2.0 somebody just asked they were joining us late so that's the name of the book okay the second thing that comes from the united states that finland employs that we do not is cooperative learning Unlike in most other countries, cooperative learning has been a pedagogical approach that is widely practiced throughout Finland, okay? That actually started, though, um, in, in the United States. That was the, the research here, was that that would be a good way to learn. The third uh, thing that comes from the United States that Finland employs is multiple intelligences, okay? The overall goal of schooling in Finland was to support a child's holistic development and growth by focusing on dis different aspects of talent and intelligence. This stems from Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, who is an American. The fourth thing that comes from America is alternative classroom assessments. Are you kidding me? We came up with this idea, okay? Um, <laughs> Child-centered, there's the word again, interaction-rich, whole child approach in the national curriculum requires that different student assessment models be used in schools. Therefore, uh, primary school students don't get any grades in their assessments before they are in fifth grade. And it is ironic that many of these methods were developed in the United States universities and yet are far more popular in Finland than in the United States. These methods include portfolio assessment, performance assessment, self-assessment and self-reflection, and assessment for learning methods. And then the fifth component is what they call peer coaching, which is all, it's, it says a good example of an innovation designed in the United States is peer coaching, which evolved in the 1980s and 1990s as a result of the research and development work of Bruce Joyce and his colleagues, okay? This is 
professional development. It's all started here. And fin Finnish teachers are beautiful. so beautiful. educated. Um, not, I mean, before they even step foot in the classroom, they're highly educated, but their um, uh, continuing education, their professional de development is phenomenal, okay? Because they don't want their teachers to ever be behind. They want them to have the most up-to-date research and evidence. So um, the United States is home to a great deal of educational change, knowledge, research, okay, and innovations. But then why in the world are we not using them? And I think that is the question. I had the, my last question in my notes was, how do we save American education from the toxic influences of the global education reform movement? To me, that's the question that we have to answer. So for this one, uh, I also, for the peer coaching, that was, the, that was my favorite one. The peer coaching, I put a star and I wrote PD for professional development and I wrote CEUs under that. It's, yep. just, it's just so fascinating how the collaboration between teachers and the peer coaching, you know, how many of us SLPs have done this life-changing CEU course and it was so great. But you think, but you look back on it, and why was it so great? Because it was interactive, it was fun, and it was a break from the norm. And what ends up happening? You go back to the day-to-day, -day, the grind of and your you job, and you never it. implement any of it because there's no teacher autonomy. And I, I, I see it all the time. Oh, that CU was amazing. It was life-changing. The, the presenter was so good. I have, I have gone to private schools in this area that have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on executive function training from Sarah Ward, who is the gold standard. Sarah Ward is amazing. Right. E EFpractice.com. Check her out. She's amazing. And they have spent thousands on her executive function training. And then a week later, nothing's implemented. No one is doing get ready, do done. No one's doing mind mime like we did, like we did last right. week. Right. No, one's, oh, no, one, yep, no one's doing any of that stuff. It's fascinating. And this right here, this peer coaching, this is so... It's so beneficial to the profession of teaching. And this is part of the reason why teachers are so respected in Finland because of their ability to collaborate, learn from each other and change as their kids change. That's right. That's right. And I will just be honest with you. That is why, you know, I've been a speech language pathologist going on my 26th year now. And um, I've been in private practice for the majority of that because I could not handle working for an agency where when I came up with an idea, right, where I yes. said, um, that I want to implement, you know, this program this summer or something, you know, for our, for our, our clients, wherever they say, Oh, well, we have to run it by the board. So why don't you put a proposal together? So being self-employed, it allowed me to run a preschool alternative yep. for students with childhood apraxia of speech, because that's my area of, of specialty. And I wanted to be able to do that. I didn't want to have to run it by 10 people and, you know, explain why. So for me, that autonomy is an SLP is why I am self-employed. It's why I have to be, because I want to be able to design. Now I develop products and programs and, you know, I, I, I create handouts that are used for parent coaching. And that is such a valuable tool. And I want to be able to do what I think is what I wish I would have had when I was in the field. You know, that's what I always say. What am I creating? Something that I sure wish I would have had when I was in the trenches, if you will. So, so um, a, a beautiful comment here from, from our, our, our just joined member of the chat, Susan Bauer, SLP, just had this convo recently with my colleagues. So you came to the right place tonight. Coaching is where the breakdown happens in our district. We have the trainings, but we lack the coaching. So that's a great, great point. In America, the system is, oh, go take a CEU, come back, you're on your own.
Right. No. And what and good does that do? Nothing. I mean, if nothing. If you learn some new skills, if you learn, you know, um, a new strategy, like one of the strategies I, I shared on social media that just got tons of feedback was that change scale. I love using it. Yes. On yes. A scale of one to 10, how important is it for this student or for your child to develop this skill, right? To do X. Oh, on a scale of one to 10, it's a 10. Okay. Here's the strategy that, um, you know, you and I have come up with to help little Johnny um, be able to, uh, you know, uh, develop this skill. What's the likelihood you're going to use this strategy at home or in the classroom? And if the parent or the teacher says, well, on a scale of one to 10, it's probably a three, because I think I'm going to feel kind of dumb using that strategy, or I'm just not sure that's really going to work in my classroom, then why in the world, then we already know there's going to be failure. If the priority is high, but the likelihood of follow through is low, then we need to come up with a better strategy, right? We got to figure something out that's going to work. So that to me, a change scale is a very viable option um, that can be used for coaching teachers, coaching parents, coaching caregivers. So that is why I want to make sure that when, you know, I, I can share these kinds of ideas, but it doesn't do any good if I share it with you in a social media post or in a training, and then you go back to school and can't implement it. Do you know what I mean? Like, or you, you know, go back to your job and can't implement it. So this is where if we had collaboration instead of competition, it's, wouldn't it, it be a different world? And, and this is what it is. It started with a hypothesis and it became a, a, an international reform movement. And yep. now we have this competition between schools. Now because, we have because, yeah, Exactly, because yep. of standardized testing. And this is what it is. Teachers are on their own. SLPs are on their own. I remember one thing, I remember one specific thing, one feeling I had was uh, after I graduated, got my master's in New York, I moved down to Philadelphia and became an SLP. And I remember the one thing that really, really struck me during my clinical fellowship year was, man, I'm really by myself. I don't have, like, like I, I was talking to all my friends who do marketing and sales and whatever right. their job, whatever their and jobs they have a team, are. Right? And, they, and they have a team and they're, and they're, and you know, like, Oh, how are your coworkers? How are your coworkers? And I remember someone asked me, Hey Mike, how are your coworkers? How are the people you work with? And it was literally just the three and five year olds that I work with. Right. I, I had, I had no, I had no coworkers. Like, like people would say like, Oh, I, I you moved to a new city. Have you made new friends yet? Did you meet people at work? Have you have you yeah, met friends at work? Free. Yeah, they're all they're all they're little all kids. Free. They're all little kids, and I, I remember it remember striking me, like wow, I'm really by myself here. Even a even a clinical fellow with a supervisor, I'm completely by completely by myself. No one to collaborate with, and it's really just you know, it's it's it was competition in terms of how productive can my hours be? Right. How many how many billable hours do I have? How many evaluations can I complete under a certain period of time? Uh, how can I? How, how much can I track track data on articul right. on articulation and play and circles of communication? It's a it's a it's a system that is so not working. Yeah, in our own field, there is very little to no collaboration. And I think it's just horrendous because it's bordering on unethical because there's no way yeah. you or I can be a specialist in every area of communication disorders. There's no way you can be a stuttering expert, an executive function expert, an autism expert, an apraxia expert, and a phonological disorder. You know, there's no way. Now you have to know dyslexia and you have to do swallowing and you have to do, you know, the, 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 our scope of practice is so big that if we are not encouraged to collaborate, then how in the world are we even providing, um, you know, high quality evidence-based uh, uh, therapy? That's what my concern is. It's unbelievable. And, and the, yeah. system, the system is hurting the teachers, 
the therapists and all of the school staff. And when you have school staff that is burnt out and not able to uh, work appropriately with the students, it hurts the students. And, and who's more, and who's more burnt out than all these, you know, people in early intervention and these people that spend all days in their cars listening, mm-hmm. listening to chapter chat while they're driving. Yeah. So all, all, it, it's, it's, it's fast. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And, you know, you, you see all of these mistakes that we're making and how it's a broken system. And there's no doubt, there's no way around it. The number one way to fix it is early childhood. Those are the ones who are being hurt the most because yeah. we are just like that, that news article you, you, you put up yeah. a four-year-old yeah. writing sentences at a desk unbelievable we have got to early childhood needs to be flipped on its head erased and started over because when we when we treat our little kids like this we are setting them up for a lifetime of anxiety of anxiety and and that's mental health i mean let's be clear okay um and so what i love mike is right when we started tonight you said what this book provides and i think we can end on this note is hope that there is a better way to do things so next week when mike and i come we are going to finish this book up chapter five is called is the future finish <laughs> I, I i honestly i'm not gonna lie I, i'm kind of sad it's ending i know I, this I, is... I, like it's really like this was the this is the first book it's only our second book yes yeah but it's the first book i'm reading for the first time yeah and it's it's bittersweet that it's ending because this, this book is giving me hope and it is show- what our fourth book is going to be. What did we decide today? <laughs> so has a new book. Yep. So, so in the podcast I listened to today, uh, he mentioned his new book and Came it's by the, the same author posse. And it's, so, and what, and what's the name of it again? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember what you said. Do you have it's, it? Uh, play. It's about play. I don't know the exact title. Yeah, I can't but it's about, I ordered it. Yeah. I got on Amazon yes. and ordered it. So we'll share that with you. Uh, I should get it in the mail next week. But just so you know, our third book, which will start in two weeks, is called More Likely to Succeed by Tony Wagner and Ted Dintersmith, um, Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era. Mike and I are excited because I do think that, you know, in the past decade, we have really um, sure have. taken over. So I'm really kind of excited to see what these authors have to say about that. Yeah, this is going to be a fascinating book. I've heard yeah. about it forever. I've had it forever. Uh, and now actually reading it, I'll be reading it for the first time, just like Finish Lessons. And for yep. all you people reading Finish Lessons, you know, this chapter, not only was this book made to spread hope, this chapter chat, there's a reason yep. we're doing this every single Monday, rain, snow, sleet, holiday, <laughs> no holiday, whatever it is, That's right. we're doing chapter chat 8 p.m. Eastern every week. And this chapter chat is to spread hope. There's so many SLPs that attend these chapter chats and have joined our book club and they're burnt out and they did not get into this field to get stuck in germ and get stuck in the cognitive hypothesis. And these chapter chats right here, I've never say thank you so much, Susan. I yes. really love it. You know, everyone yes. and this spread is the word. For SLPs though, right? It's yes. For teachers, for educators, for administrators, for parents. I know we have parents that join us sometimes. I know this is a holiday. It's Labor Day here in the United States. Probably doesn't mean anything to those of you who are overseas. <laughs> but, um, here in the United States, it's um, a go to the lake. Uh, you know, say goodbye to summer holiday, basically, Correct. is uh, what Labor Day is. Um, it was no different for me. I worked from home. And so uh, I just pretty much worked all day. But um, yep. it was, uh, as always, Mike, this was uh, just phenomenal. I, I love talking with you about uh, 
uh, everything related to uh, executive function and education reform. And I, I don't know, it just, it motivates me. So I look forward to Mondays. Uh, Mondays are the absolute greatest, bar none. I love it so much. Uh, and every single person who attends, spread the word. Just yeah, let, let people know if because- available, Mike, tell them where they can find us um, on the podcast. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. Best part of the week. Uh, so Spotify and podcasts, Spotify and Apple podcasts, type in education chapter chat. You'll see the picture of both our faces pop up and every single episode is on there labeled the book we're reading, the chapter we're reading, you know, listen to it in your free time. And so if you didn't join yep. us for the first book, you can always go back and listen. It was called How Children Succeed by Paul Tuff. So you can always go back and listen to that. And if I know one of you got on and said this was your first time joining us ever. So if you want to go back and listen to the first three chapters of Finish Lessons, you know, it would be helpful for you. But uh, anyways, you guys, thank you for joining us. Mike, as always, this was uh, another phenomenal chapter chat. So I look so forward to next Monday. Can't and wait. we will finish up Finish Lessons 2.0. Oh, yep. It's going to be a good one, guys. Thank right. you, guys. Take thank care. you guys so much. Bye-bye. Yep. See you soon.